0: Welcome back to the show, everybody. It's your host, John Scardina. I am so, so, so excited for this episode. Uh, I have known Gavin now for a little bit. We met at the Indiana Operations Lights Out exercise, where, as you all know, Jessica and Jeremy invited me to check out uh, what they were doing in Indiana. I was really impressed by a lot of different things. And I was also really impressed mostly impressed by mostly impressed i was incredibly impressed by a local emergency manager out of clark county indiana the director of emergency management um gavin uh gavin uh since then has just for everybody's situational awareness has been like fully integrated into our stuff so he went to the dynamic populations course in august we've been chatting about a bunch of different projects offline since then trying to help each other out on both sides of the aisle and it's been really exciting to, to get to know him and his background and see how he looks at a local emergency management. So without any further ado, Gavin, welcome to the show.
1: Thanks. Uh, thanks for having me. It's, uh, it's an honor as a longtime listener of, uh, of Disaster Tough. Uh, it was great to meet you uh, and your staff down at the uh, Atlanta Con- or not conference. It was a training. Uh, <laughs> so it was, uh, it was a great, great opportunity. Uh, and I'm happy to be here.
0: Yeah, when, um, you know, we were really impressed by uh, the way you approach dynamic populations. And, and again, just for everyone's situational awareness, dynamic populations really is for people who work in venues and sports arenas and amusement parks and, and deal with the ebb and flow. And Clark County is, interestingly enough, no stranger to that because they have a huge air show that happens. And then just on the other side of the river, they have the Kentucky Derby. And so, dealing with population influx for different times of the year, and um, you know, "quote unquote" tourists, and how to deal with special events, it was uh, great to have uh, have you out there at the dynamic populations uh, course to add your own perspective. So, with that in mind, uh, local emergency management is uh, really the ground truth of where emergency management is because every disaster is local. We say that that's where you see the real impacts. And you have to be so integrated with your first responder counterparts in order to be effective. And so with that in mind, can you kind of just give us a, a kind of an overview of how Clark County does emergency management and your approach to emergency management?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you know, like you said, that it's, uh, it's the first line really of emergency management. And if we're sitting in our office all day, uh, not meeting with our first responders or their agency heads, we're not going to get anything done when, you know, we need to get it done. Uh, so, you know, we get out of the office a lot. We don't sit in the office and uh, just sit there and look at plans and, you know, silo ourselves. We, we work with all of our uh, first responders and we bring something to the table in, you know, the form of a service so that we, uh, we get invited to the table when it's time to plan for large events and, uh, you know, update our plans.
0: Yeah. In fact, as you were saying, that reminded me of uh, interviewing Craig Fugate on this podcast, And talking about, um, I believe, his first like real introduction to emergency management was a uh, a cow got stuck in a hole, and uh, he was like, and he walked through how a a cow falling into a hole was like the perfect emergency management uh, scenario because you had somebody coordinating, somebody reaching out to, uh, I think uh, they got like a obviously like some kind of lift to get the cow out of there. They were talking to responders. They were talking to all these people and the farmer who had their cow, uh, you know, uh, their livelihood, right, Im- impacted by that. And so you're, you're walking through uh, like a microchasm. This is a guy who led FEMA for eight years. and He said a cow in a hole is uh, the perfect uh, analogy for emergency management. And so it just shows that like whether it's a cow in a hole or it's, a you know, a, a, a county flood or, a, you know, a hurricane, Hurricane Fiona, for example, that's uh, impacting Puerto Rico at the moment, um, all that stuff is relatable Absolutely. and so if we're if we're talking about that coordination piece that is required um can you give an example of your cow in the whole kind of moments where you've gone out there i know you do stuff with drones i know you you help out with uh, the fire pretty well and your other uh, adjacent counties you actually i'm aware that you also work with them as well so uh talk to talk to us about some of those experiences that uh, solidified why coordination is so important
1: yeah, absolutely. I mean, I and mean, recently, really within the past uh, three months, we had a we had a funeral home that um, kept some expired bodies uh, too long, and you know, of course, they're looking for the police department's looking for ideas how to manage this, and they uh, they reached out to us and hope you know in hopes that we would coordinate that response to that. So we uh, we were able to be the lead coordinating agency, reach out and get you know different resources that were needed, uh, light towers, freezer trucks. Uh, and just really coordinate the resource and the response to that not so much the investigative side of it but uh, just the resource heavy side uh, another other thing is working with our local counties we've got a, a district uh, planning council and you know in essence we're, we're all one big county uh, we we ensure that if somebody gets hit we're going to help them uh, and that's of where we're looking at actually developing a response plan to lay that out, how that's going to work instead of just a phone call in the middle of the night. you know, Come help us.
0: Real quick, we're going to pause for this week's Disaster Tough Endorsements. This show is owned and operated by professional emergency managers at Doberman Emergency Management. We apply disaster tough logic by protecting life, property, and business continuity through planning, mitigation, and training. Check us out at dobermanemg.com or click on the show notes. Radio Com's just got a major breakthrough with the L3 Harris XL Extreme 400P. It's the newest and toughest radio out there. Built by their space and tactical teams, the XL Extreme Series can take a beating. 1,700 degree blast of heat, repeated three meter drops, rain, salt water, you name it. The XL Extreme Series by L3 Harris can take it. Visit L3Harris.com to schedule your demo today. Sawyer products offer the best, most technologically advanced solution for protection against the sun, bugs, water, and injuries. Everything from water filtration systems to insect repellents, time-release technologies, really amazing stuff. So whether you're at home, work, or at play, make sure you check out Sawyer at Sawyer.com. Okay, let's jump back in. Uh, it's funny. The the phone call in the middle of the night is like... a. Uh... A catch 22 because you want to be the type of person who gets the phone call in the middle of the night, like trusted person. But I, I thoroughly enjoy sleep. And so like, uh, I want always to get the call, but I also never want to get the call. And so having a plan like that, I think Zach Borst was on the show talking about how, um, like, uh, you know, districts like multiple counties don't usually have great plans in place. And it is usually just a phone call. Um, so, how do you determine who gets the call? Like, what is part of the planning process requirements that you walk through in terms of, I want to be involved, but you know, I still have to worry about my own county because I'm, I'm assuming you don't have a, a large staff. How do you cover your own needs if you're responding to somebody else?
1: Yeah, so we've, uh, we've got three full or three full-time paid employees and uh, seven or eight volunteers that are really full-time. All the, you know, they're always around. Oh, own. that's awesome and uh they're they're great great people to have a lot of them are you know in uh, the fireside ems uh, dispatchers so they're always involved in you know normal processes but when it's time for us to go out and help another county they're, they're right there with us mm-hmm. um one one thing that we do is we uh, we develop a resource or a capabilities list that we are able to share with other other counties and let them know what we've got and then we'll send out a we use, I am responding. We'll send an I am responding chat and gather some response, uh, responses from those folks with us. And then we'll send those, uh, those resources to other County to help them. All
0: right. So I I typically don't have a huge learning curve on here, but I have no idea with, I am responding. What is I am responding? Is that like,
1: Oh yeah, it's a, it's a notification system. That's so we've got different state criteria that we, uh, We've input it into the system, our computer-aided dispatch at the 911 center. will push out those alerts to us, so maintains our Got situational it. awareness. So.
0: Got it. So I, I have some learning to do um, after this, and I'll learn more about that. So the, um, yeah, walking through that, though, some of the problems I've seen in the past of, like, putting together that list is that, like, we put together the list, and then we like everyone says, like develop a plan, but you don't use the plan, and then a disaster. You call call your friends anyways. How do you build up that relationship, that trust, that like what have you done to help out the other counties, or they've helped out you? So that I, I know you've gone to Operation Lights Out, for example. Like, what are some of the other events that have built that that team cohesion that other people can do around the country, especially those who are like, man, I don't have like any contact with anybody else around me. And or maybe trying to pull teeth to get that done. are some out, out you know, some positive outcomes for you?
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we uh, we're fortunate we have a you know a quarterly meeting, so we're able to meet up with everybody. But if we just waited for that quarterly meeting to build relationships, we would never build the relationships. Uh, we reach out, we we ask, we offer support. Uh, I made up with this, uh, so I'm always like. What can we help you with you know any large event that you have going on in your county? Can we come be a part of the incident management team? Can we come be a part of the you know boots on the ground doing drone detection or uh, any anything like that just to integrate more into their system so we know what they're looking for when uh, we come in? So it's just reaching out and offering a service to the other county where they where they would like to you know conduct something there that we may not they, not, they may not be able to without you know outside support.
0: So you, you brought up drones. I kind of I kind of teased that out a little bit. We had uh, Chief Eric Funkhauser on on the show maybe three months ago, and uh, Indiana is starting to be put on the map a little bit for drones because you guys are using drones in EMA and you're using drones with, um, you know, uh, fire and you're using drones for, uh, even police. I think uh Chief uh, Funkhauser talked about um. You know, going out there and, and ser- helping search for somebody at night and walking out there without incident out of a cornfield. I think that's what it was. And so you're coming up with innovative solutions. It, out of all the places in the world, Indiana doing drones, it's like it, it feels kind of random to me because it's like not the Gulf where we have, you know, massive hurricanes. It's not California where we have the huge wildfires. Indiana. Indiana is leading in a lot of different ways in, in that, and it's tr- truly impressive. Um, especially because the, the national attention is not usually there. So, without the national attention, what are your like top hazards that you're constantly aware of that you're dealing with? I know you have the air show, that's a positive thing, but it's something to be aware of. What are some other things that that you have to walk through and think about as uh, you know, Indiana specific?
1: I mean, I think. First on the list is you know severe weather, tornadoes. Uh, That's yeah, that's what we're you know our main main threat, I would say. Um, You know, flooding. We have a river. uh, That's probably the next one on the list. And then it's probably a transportation incident, specifically for our uh, our county. And I would probably say the whole state, just because I mean Indiana, crossroads of the Midwest. So right, um, I seventy. Yeah, there's a lot of uh, a lot of interstate traffic, and then I think more locally, uh, you know, ours would be the soft targets, uh, special events, things of uh, you know, large crowds, no uh, mm-hmm. no real restrictions. So that's another, another thread up there that we watch.
0: That you're thinking about? Yeah, I would. Um, I'm, I I admittedly have a lot of experience in the Fed side, and in... Um, because of interviews like this and working with different counterparts. I mean, as a Fed, I worked with counties, but I've never, you know, I've, I've never been a county EM. And uh, I always have hats off to that because when I was in like D.C., um, there was a massive snowstorm. It was like uh, Snowmageddon is what they were calling it. And uh, I went out with my wife. We had no power for like five days. Uh, but like the first day it was snowing, we went outside and uh, made like snowmen and' just like playing in the snow, right? Just my wife and I, we didn't have kids or anything. but um, thankfully, we had neighbors with little kids, and so we didn't look super weird playing out, like just like acting like little kids. But it was a great time. and uh, got home and I got about 40 texts from all my friends in the local area saying like they were EOCs were activated and they were so it was like, that was like my first real introduction. This is maybe 10 years ago now. It's like recognizing, like, man, local EMs really do spawn to, like, everything. And um, that has to be exhausting. And then you switch over to the COVID life where it's like now all the other emergency managers are learning about uh, constant responses. How do you manage uh, even emotionally dealing with... I mean, we all have a service-minded heart, right? But going out to, like, virtually every single... Event in your local area, and recognizing you have staff, how do you deal with that personally? Do you have thresholds? Do you have, do you have hot washes? Like, what do you deal with, or or how do you deal with it rather? When, when I,
1: I, I mean, you know, especially we, you know, we've got a critical incident of some sort. We we uh, we've got a critical incident management uh, team that's hosted here regionally, and you know, they're a great resource to tap into. But just you know, locally within our office, we it's a, it's an open, open door policy. We, we talk about everything, anything. And if there's somebody having a problem, we're going to, we're going to sit around and we're going to talk about it. And, and it's just like a group of, you know, group of guys and gals sitting around and just discussing like, you know, like me and you are here. I mean, it's, it's pretty yeah. nonchalant, uh, informal and just, and if, you know, if somebody after that doesn't get what they need or, then we're going to look and we're going to reach out and, to, you know, other professionals and help them.
0: Yeah, I think and I think that's okay to say, right? Like sometimes other professionals are required. Um, St. Louis had a massive flooding event, um, what a month and a half ago. Worst flooding event in 178 years. Essentially, boils down to like a, a flash flooding event, but still catastrophic. And uh, being in the St. Louis area, I was seriously hoping that uh, the hot washes would would include uh, like barbecue that's like my go-to of like getting overcoming problems, but whatever to each their own. So uh, when you're talking about sitting around, I, I just had the, uh, the, um, the image of uh, what was that movie? The Avengers Afterwards, they're all just sitting in the shawarma, I think is what they were eating. They were sitting in the, the cafe. So yeah. I think, yeah, <laughs> food sitting around t- chatting, you know, one of the things that, uh, You know, I'm a big fan of talking it out, and obviously, I have a podcast, so I'm a talker. But some things I don't want to talk about, and it's so much easier to to not have to talk about it because the the other person in the room has been there. I have a friend like that. His name is Patrick McGinn. He's been on the on the podcast a few times. At every disaster that he responds to, that I respond to, we get on the phone, we chat, we hang out, and there's a lot that we don't talk about, and um, that's kind of nice too. Uh, but right. just knowing that, you know, your buddy's there uh, to support. So, um, yeah, there's always a call out, especially for National Preparedness Month. And when we're talking about readiness. One of the things to be ready for is to recognize that disasters are unique and they're strange. And especially when you're up close and personal. Like I said, I was always on the Fed side, but I've worked with local counterparts. And when you see things up close and personal, uh, you know, I, I think it's OK to to say, like um uh, what I call it mental first aid is part of the recovery process, even for a responder yeah absolutely so, um um <clears throat> in terms of that regard uh you also have a first responder background right did you were uh you were a firefighter before you became an emergency manager is that right
1: yeah, i worked uh for a township fire department we were in uh, e m s and mm. uh you know fire department fire uh, apparatus and we uh and so I started out there and they have a great great job all of our guys here do it i've got a couple of firemen on our on our group of people here they've all said they're going to listen to it and burn it on cds and, and share it with everyone It's so. <laughs> uh, awesome but no but it, that, it,
0: that it, coordination piece is different right i mean it's right. it is a the the mental game is definitely different on uh, uh one versus the other for sure
1: yeah, yeah.
0: so uh you got in. You got into this field, though. So, I, at Operation Lights Out. You're telling me. So, you got. You became the emergency manager at what? Twenty four?
1: Was it? At twenty four.
0: Twenty four. I was so impressed when I heard that. I was. Um. I was thinking. Uh, twenty four. What was I doing? And I was. I'm too <laughs> embarrassed to say it on the podcast. But, um, it shows that you're motivated and, um. Again, going back to the firefighter thing, uh, I wouldn't want to do... I, I'm not a firefighter. And uh, luckily, I have uh, known a lot of men like you, men and women uh, who are fighters, who were and who are, and been integrated with USAR. And uh, I'm sure, as, as you agree, like the utmost respect for what they have to do. And yet, uh, I think emergency managers can help them out a lot absolutely and there's there's a lot that we can take off their plate that they so that they can do their job more effectively and I, I wonder i wonder if the field doesn't really recognize that which is really funny because a lot of emergency managers come from fire and EMS backgrounds and then they're like they step away and um <clears throat> excuse me and and that's been a that's been an issue right so right how do we how do we bridge that gap? I mean, you're bridging that gap right now. You're twenty. You're, you were 24. You're several years into the job. Uh, you're still working with firefighters. Why do you think that emergency managers, especially with that fire EMS first responder background, don't integrate well with re- their their former colleagues? And how do we how do we start bridging the, that gap now in the field?
1: Yeah, I think I mean that's a that's a pretty complex. Uh, issue, but I think one thing that I've recognized here is that uh, we as emergency managers don't really know our role and we don't like to stay in our lane. Uh, so, one thing I quickly did was I'm no longer a firefighter or EMT, so I'm not that's not my issue. I'm, I'm there to support the fire and EMS and police department. So, uh, learning and adapting to that that change of responsibility is is a, probably the hardest part of it. Uh, one thing that helped us was COVID, uh, or helped me was COVID It really pushed us away from that tactical level to the real high level uh, of the response. But I, I mean, I just, I think that a lot of people, they they still wanna be tactical hands-on um, and that's, that's not us anymore. I mean, we, we still have ways to be tactical and hands-on with damage assessments, uh, you know, drone response, uh, and we could be really good at those tactical level operations but we still like to get stuck on firefighting uh, medical care and instead of supporting those at a larger level. Mm. the
0: uh, It is a complex issue, right? I mean, <clears throat> and the tactical stuff is the cool stuff. Right. I've had You're several right. emergency managers on here talking about how emergency managers uh, by trade have to be okay, not getting the credit for it. And, um, I still think that we can give as emergency managers, we can give credit to other emergency managers, and that's one way we can kind of boost the morale. But ultimately, like here's a here's an easy, easy example. I when my my undergrad, I wanted to get an internship, and obviously, young was inexperienced, didn't know a lot. But I thought, hey, Red Cross. I always see them in disasters. They always have these cool videos out. Um, I thought I would be like mucking out homes. I thought I'd be like in response. And, uh, I went there and I said, Hey, uh, you know, like an internship. And he says, yeah, sure. And like for the next three, four, four months I was doing paperwork and I was learning a whole lot. And I kept on having like this, like feeling of like, man, like I thought, I thought we were the, like the humanitarian responders, right? That, right. that side of the house. But, but the more I learned and appreciated, um, when fire would call for a fire ho- like a house was on fire. Um, we would get called out and our job was to take care of the people once that was all taken care of so the hotels, the, the feeding mission all that stuff and I, I learned to, to love the job because I got to help out people and that's how I was quote unquote tactical but right. it, is a, it is a mindset it must be even more difficult from having that tactical background um, and quote unquote that j- adrenaline rush to something a little more you know it's adrenaline but in a very different way Right, right. Um, gosh, uh, you could talk oh. about that for probably forever. Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> yep.
1: Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that was I, most I, in the response. Yep. Oh, oh, oh. oh. Yeah. Um, <laughs> no, nope. I could sit here. I could sit here and talk about it all day long. I, I mean, the first love was tactics uh, and hands-on. So, uh, but now I have a, a weird obsession now to try to find ways to support support them with their hands on, uh, you know, grants, different plans, different, you know, instant management software, trying to make their lives easier. That's, that's really all I set out every day is, is like, I think of something, how can I, how can I make the fire guys, the police guys, the EMS guys, how can I make their lives better uh, when they're responding to something?
0: So uh, you said it was a weird uh, obsession. I'm going to, I'm going to uh, update that to saying you want to become uh, or, or re- uh, uh, remain a professional. Like, and what I, I really mean that in, a, in the greatest sense because there's people who are in the profession who are not professional. And uh, that requires so much time and effort and passion and motivation and, uh, gosh, especially with emergency manager emergency management writing grants and everything that's required, all the all the stuff that requires you just to be all in all the time. In order to help out somebody else, and um, it is some of the most difficult aspects of the job, and yet some of the most rewarding. When you get to that level and you're you're able to integrate with everybody that you're uh, connecting with, and and it translates to other things too, like USAR. right? I have a I have an amazing sponsor, L3 Harris, to do radios for us. When I went and worked out with uh, worked with our USAR teams, I called them up and said, "They don't have radios. Can you donate some radios?" And they said yes. And that was like the most emergency management moment of my life because I wanted to help out somebody else, and uh, I couldn't personally do it, but I knew of another resource that could that I was connected to. And you know, fast forward four or five times now, they get radios donated to them every training that they do. It's a good PR thing for L3 Harris, yep. sure, but L3 Harris didn't know about them, and they didn't know about L3 Harris, and so, um, you know, it translated even to my, into my job now, uh, even right. though it's uh, kind of outside the scope. So, having that service-minded mentality is huge. Um, <clears throat> so let's yeah. talk about next steps then, because we have a few minutes left here. What's on the horizon for you? What do you focus on? How do you remain a professional like what are you doing to push to the next level
1: uh, besides taking
0: Pop classes
1: the diepop twenty twenty two real deal no uh
0: hashtag the real deal
1: yeah uh no it's it's going to classes like that to get you out of your comfort zone uh, I walked into the Pop class, and there sits Pete Gaynor, um which was super intimidating uh then john puts me in the same group as him and so spend the whole week with uh pete and uh you kind of get out of your comfort zone and you know when you start start saying uh saying things and he's not correcting you i guess you feel kind of good about yourself and uh so no i mean it's just it's really you gotta keep going to these classes and uh if you learned something three years ago there's a great chance that it's not the same anymore and you need to go back through it um point and, and you, you've got to just keep yeah, continuing education professional development um right now I, I just feel that us as emergency managers we wouldn't be taken seriously and uh but we don't have any professional you know requirements to continue going through classes uh, one thing that i would like to see change is uh the empg grant we were required to take i think four independent study classes a year and that's that's it i mean i could i could take those in 30 minutes but We've, we've got to just be we've got to do better and we've got to you know grow the field and bring more professional uh, you know development uh, requirements to the field.
0: I'm acutely aware that uh, I'm acutely aware of all options for training and I'm acutely aware that there is no standardization option in our field. There are several, um, social clubs and there are several nice to haves and there's several cool things, but there's truly no standardization in the field. And it comes from uh, having a million different uh, definitions, which we can clean up, which I've been trying to clean up. Emergency management is the strategic coordination of emergency services, right? Uh, we've been trying to to attack this on the podcast you mentioned Pete Gaynor. Pete Gaynor has brought it up. Uh, Brock Long brought it up. Craig Fugate brought it up. Heads of FEMA on this podcast all recognizing the lack of standardization, and so you're in good company, Gavin. Um, if you say that, uh, if you say that yourself, but we've also had other uh, other perspectives. Okay, you're you're a county emergency manager. You mentioned it. We've had hospital emergency managers on here. We've had. Uh, private sector, public sector, we've had people from NATO, we've had the DOD, we've had kind of everybody across the board. And we'll, we'll keep identifying great leaders to bring on the podcast. And almost at, almost all of them um, have brought it up in one way or the other that we need to hit the next phase in our field. I argue that the emergency management response for dynamic populations course and the emergency response technologies course and the EOC course that we're developing at the readiness lab. These courses are next level. So f- the first time we're really getting to like next level training, but that's only a precursor of something greater to come. And what's greater to come is standardization. And um, that's really what we're working on. That's like the secret sauce uh, or the, the, the secret uh, behind the door thing that we're trying to work on is we have to attack this problem of when you call an emergency manager, you don't know what you're getting. Right. You don't know if you're getting somebody great like Gavin or you're getting somebody <laughs> terrible like John, right? And so how do you deal with that and, and how do you address it? And that's, that's uh, obviously rhetorical for the field, but we need to create metrics of everybody across the board, not just independent study, but everybody should required to take a pop class, for example. Yeah. I would love that. Um, but there should be a generalist, a basic foundation of all emergency managers should have a baseline foundation of understanding. And I'm saying that more than ICS 100 through 800, a little bit more, uh, work to, to create a, a true foundation. Right. And then there should be specializations from there. And, um, case in point, Zach Borst, again, brought him up a couple times. He talked about having an intelligence analyst and the an EOC, my argument is that GISers, people who do GIS, can be the the analysts, and his immediate response was, but John, GISers are not trained in intelligence for emergency management. And he was 100% correct. The only reason why I you know, stood out, more or less, is that I had done emergency management for you know, several years before that, and then got into GIS. And so I knew what ops wanted. I knew what planning wanted. And we were able to do some, you know, future stuff, predictive analysis. But, right. you know, we can do better as a field. So, gosh, you're going yeah, to, I could talk about that for again forever, but oh, great I, call I, I out. Yeah. So, um, <clears throat> next step for the field is standardization through the readiness lab. And great call out there. <laughs> um, Clark County, what, you want to make one last pitch for Clark County, what you guys are doing there. Uh, if you want to shout out to some of your firefighter buddies, um, here's your opportunity.
1: Yeah. You know, we've got a great group of people here. Uh, our deputy director, uh, Brian Jones, uh, logistics coordinator, Andrew Conlon. They're, uh, they're great great people. They, uh, they're, they're part of the, the real deal uh, of uh, our county. And they, they help us build relationships and they keep us going. And so without them, we couldn't uh, we couldn't keep you know supporting all of our first responder agencies and our other non traditional uh, response agencies. So it's uh, it's a great group of people here. We've got a great great group of elected officials that support us in our mission, let us get grants and keep spending the money that uh, the federal government gives us. So we're uh, we're very fortunate for that. So um, that's all I really have. But <laughs> great. It's, oh. It's oh. great. Oh, yep. yep. That great. was it. Yep. Yeah, that's all I have. I'd, no, the I the hope
0: great, great, of emergency management. No, um, Gavin, thanks again so much for coming on. Uh, it's really impressive to see what you've done and where where you're headed. That your your mindset, um, your, what was it before? You're, you're weirdly passionate, or you're, you're weirdly <laughs> involved. I'm weirdly involved too, and um, it's because I I have seen it up close and personal. I know you have as well, and um, we're focusing on the right stuff. We hope to see you at future trainings. We hope to, to, to have you on the podcast again. And um, Clark County is doing it right. I was very impressed by everything I've, I've seen and, and, and been learning about from your end. So kudos to your leadership. Appreciate that. And uh, yeah, thanks again for coming on the show.
1: Yeah, thanks for having me.
0: So the field. Uh, we talked about a lot of different things about here. We talked about local emergency management. We talked about Clark County. We talked about Indiana. We talked about the OPS. Uh, we talked about the EPS, uh, all, all kinds of stuff. If you're doing something in emergency management where you're seeing it, especially at the local level, we would love to know about what you're doing, whether it's creating district plans or it's identifying hazards or it's walking through and working with your counterparts. What are some of the, the good, the bad and the ugly that you're trying to work through that we can help out as a field? If you want to let us know, put it in the comments on social media. We get lots of emails. That's great. But we'd love to see it on social media for Disaster Tough Podcast. If you got something out of the show, which you should have, I definitely did. I learned about a whole other communication uh, platform, for example. Uh, So that was excellent. So uh, please give us that five-star rating and subscribe. And we'll see you for the next one.